0: Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and joining me today is Chris Miller. Chris and I will be discussing the text for this past Sunday's sermon here at Grace Baptist Church. Tim Cockrell preached a sermon from Revelation chapter 1, verses 9-20. through 20. And so, Chris, last week we noted that the writer of the Revelation was John the Apostle, and according to church history, perhaps a little assist from legend, we believe that John was the only one of the 12 apostles who did not die a martyr's death can you bring us up to speed on what we know about john's life between the ascension of jesus and his receiving of the revelation that he writes here from jesus
1: yeah sure I'd be glad to um there's there is a, a lot of legend and a lot of uh, putting things together but our, our sense is he he may well have been the only one who was not martyred we don't know that he was so, uh, up up to, from, from the time of Jesus, 30 AD, all the way up to 90 or so, there's 60 years there. So, we know uh, from Scripture that He wrote Scripture, the Gospel of John, the Book of Revelation, the three epistles. Some people dispute those, but uh, I don't think in evangelical circles we do. Um, so, I certainly don't. And. Um, after that, we hear that uh, though Ephesus was founded by Paul, that John was an elder there for the years. church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus, yes. Uh, so um, until then, uh, I mean, after that, all we know is that he was allegedly banished then, not allegedly, he was banished to Patmos, that's where he finds himself, and that was a typical form of punishment by the Romans at that point in time, uh, so that certainly fits the situation and makes good sense. Um, So he finds himself on the Isle of Patmos, which is just west in the Aegean Sea, west of Ephesus, Um, uh, and so that's where we find the setting of this book. Uh, There is one curious little bit of church history. Uh, Tertullian says that John was banished to Patmos after being plunged into boiling oil in Rome and suffering nothing from it. It is said that all in the audience of the Colosseum were converted to Christianity upon witnessing this miracle. We have no idea whether that not really happened or not, uh, but the, the curious part is that at the end of the Gospel of John, there's that famous story between Jesus and Peter, where he says, well, he going to live forever, and Jesus doesn't really answer. He just says, well, well, what if he does? What if I want him to live till I come back? And then John has to put down the rumor, no, he didn't say he was going to live till he comes back, but, you know, who knows? And so he certainly does live until
0: Patmos. And we don't know for sure, but probably died there, 98 to 100 AD. That would would be the best guess. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, Chris, Tim made much of John's identification with his readers as their, and I'm quoting here from uh, verse nine, as their brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. So let's spend some time teasing out that statement a little further. Uh, brother and partner. That's a pretty, that's a pretty compact statement there. Uh,
1: so when he says brother, obviously he uses the word for you know, the Christian family. When he uses the word for partner, it's, a, it's a, the word for business partner. Now that's an interesting combination, not only family but working together. If we could only find somebody who could experience that or tell us what that's like. I mean, do you know of anybody who's in business with a brother, Bart? <laughs> <laughs> it hits real close to home for me. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I mean, so you tell me, what's that like when you have Matt and you work with
0: him and he's your brother? Well, what,
1: what is that? What, what kind of relationship do you guys have there?
0: Now I'm supposed to be asking the questions. Well, I know here, you are. But no, I tell you what, in, in all seriousness, it's a, it's a richness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you that as brothers, we didn't always get along. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we always got along the way you, you expect young brothers, brothers to, do, right? but as time goes on, That working together in a family business, Mm -hmm. that working together in family matters even, uh, it brings you close. It gives you a sense of camaraderie Mm. that uh, you you didn't always have when you were growing up. Now, I can remember, though, when I remember one statement or one picture my father uh, remembered. He remembered it better than Matt and me. Mm -hmm. But um, we were practicing on the football field. I was uh, the place kicker, and my brother, Matt, was the holder. Okay, And somebody came through the line and just obliterated him. And I forget if it was practice or a game. And little old me, I wasn't that big either. But uh, I went after the guy because he was my <laughs> brother. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot to that, I mm-hmm. think. John coming alongside here and just saying, hey, I am with you. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a perfect illustration here because when times get
1: tough, that sort of comes out, doesn't it? It sure does. And I think that's what, what John's getting to here. With Times are going to be tough here. So who who are we? We are brothers, and we are working together. That gives us a special tight bond to be together in the midst of difficulty.
0: Well, and Tim Tim referenced this idea, this, this political upheaval, and certainly the persecution that was going on now. Mm-hmm. We see this, by the way, back in about 50-some A.D. when James is writing, mm-hmm. but now John's writing in... Somewhat of the same political dynamic, it seems, in the Roman Empire.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, persecution comes and goes with politics as politics move back and forth. But, yeah, this is another another rough time, especially um, under Trajan and then Domitian,
0: for sure. Okay, so there's a familial bond, brother. Mm-hmm. There is a, a business, the business of the gospel bond, mm-hmm. partner. And then this prepositional phrase, uh, we've got three different uh, areas. We've got the tribulation. Mm-hmm and the kingdom, Mm -hmm. and the patient endurance, brothers and partners Mm -hmm. in each of those three. Let's talk a little bit about that tribulation.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, I think you have to talk about them not just individually but together because tribulation and kingdom, those are the two that you think, well, no, wait a minute. How do they fit together? But, of course, that's what the whole Christian life is about, right? There's tribulation and kingdom. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom. You're gonna have trouble now, but there's the kingdom that's promised. So, uh, or do we have just one or the other? No, no. And if you think you're gonna have just one or the other, you're probably haven't got the right balanced perspective.
0: One of Tim's slides, and he didn't—he didn't go this way. I'm not even sure that it was. Uh, uh, it may have been a, a an underhanded reference. It said something about your best life. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that, but one of his slides during the service and mm-hmm. as he was preaching, he talked about your best life. There's a phrase that uh, has become almost ubiquitous here throughout our, our culture. Live your best life. Now it comes from a, a somewhat famous author mm-hmm. and uh, a preacher of sorts we'll call. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you're saying, tribulation and kingdom work and patient endurance all go together. That's a little against what our culture says, even our Christian culture sometimes. Come to Christ, things will be better. Yeah, sure is.
1: And that prosperity kind of gospel, when when we identify it like that, uh, we can see the error of it, but it's a, it's a very tempting sort of thing <clears throat> to get into because we all do want, you know, less tribulation, more kingdom, <laughs> but, but... If we do that, we're we're denying the reality of where we are, which is why the very last phrase is important: the patient endurance that are in Jesus, right? If you're gonna if you gonna make excuse me make it through the trouble, uh, and make it to the kingdom, you've got to
0: have a lot of patient endurance in this life. And you've got to look at John's setting here. So John's dealing with a lot of persecution, certainly. Personal persecution, as well as the more uh, the widespread persecution that Christians in general are, are facing, mm-hmm. but then we go to verse ten here. It says, "I was in the spirit on the Lord's day." Mm-hmm. Tim Tim talked a little bit. We won't delve in too deep. I don't. Uh, we don't need to. In the spirit, whatever that means, but on the Lord's day, mm-hmm. we don't know if John was there on Patmos alone, if he was more this were maybe a solitary confinement type of thing, or if he was there with other people. But he was know, in, in the midst of all this, praising God. He was meeting, at least with himself and God, <laughs> yeah. uh, a, a church of sorts.
1: Yeah, uh, a church of sorts, I guess. I, I think the whole point uh, was banishment, and the whole point was to get him away from all of his support so he couldn't have much influence. And guess who shows up? And guess who shows up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I guess if it's you and Jesus, that's a pretty
0: good Sunday, isn't that's it? That's <laughs> a pretty good church. <laughs> pretty good church. But the fact of the matter is, uh, even culture, even the government, cannot squelch
1: the Holy Spirit. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess that's a good point. In I guess that is a contrast I hadn't thought of. But in Patmos, by order of Roman rule, <laughs> but speaking the truth to the entire world by order of God.
0: Right, and boy, <laughs> and and we're richer for it. Uh, yeah. We've got the whole book here in the Revelation that Jesus gives him. So, regarding John's portrayal of Jesus, now uh, Tim said earlier in his message that we should be careful not to envision Jesus as all of one attribute and little or none of his other attributes. But as we look here in verses twelve through twenty, we we see this description of Jesus that John gives us. He's sharing. You know, a lot of people overuse the word awesome. I mm-hmm. think this is a pretty awesome portrayal of mm-hmm. Christ. Mm-hmm. Why so different here from the humble and suffering servant that we see throughout the Gospels? We, John talks a little bit about this in his Gospel, and mm-hmm. uh, but he then, you know, certainly in his letters, he portrays him as light. And But here we have a real big turn from, you know, since the ascension of the suffering servant. Now we've got more of a robust conquering Hero. At least that's what it seems that yeah, John's presenting
1: here. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I think the difference is not uh, not just that we want to be balanced and have both sides, though that is true. What, what Tim said was absolutely right. But it's also just a different uh, stage in God's redemptive program. And Peter talks a lot about this. Uh, let me quote from Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter. And he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, those of us in the last days, They searched intently with the greatest care, trying to to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So it seems very easy to us now to see, oh, the cross, the first coming, the sufferings, oh, the second coming, the glories that would follow. But if you don't know that time frame, that's a riddle that's almost impossible to decipher. See, the Old Testament prophets who would see a suffering Messiah who would also reign, it was such a conundrum to them. Like, how in the world does this happen? Well, now we see it. So the suffering is over, and the glory is now coming. And I think the point for those readers, all readers, believers or unbelievers alike, is that it's time to get serious. That This is no longer the Jesus who is coming to us humble, mounted on a donkey. He's coming on the war horse, and time is getting near. Is getting short, and you better get ready to do business with the sun.
0: Chris, you speak to a, a, a dynamic with the Old Testament leaders, or the the leaders of the throughout the Old Testament, and then the scribes and Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, for example, mm-hmm. there in the Gospels that we see so clearly reject what we know to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they were looking for something else, they were looking for another type of leader. Perhaps they were looking at just a focused set of Old Testament prophecies mm-hmm. that, so that and Jesus didn't really meet their understanding. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know we can easily say, "Hey, if they would have looked at the whole of the Old Testament, they would have seen this." Mm-hmm. It reminds me that uh, we're not too far from that ourselves, and mm-hmm. and as a as a professional teacher of the scriptures this is what mm-hmm. you do for a living mm-hmm. give us a little idea of how you have perhaps grown over the years and, wh- and what I'm looking to do is just remind us all mm-hmm. if uh cuz I think I know what I'm going to get here we haven't rehearsed this but I'm thinking <laughs> from past conversation tell me about how you've grown in your understanding of who Jesus is, Mm. and especially as we look at something like this, and then what we think is coming down the pike, Mm -hmm. how has your understanding of that and your expectations grown? I think that a lot of people have
1: the same journey in that um, they see Jesus as the one who's going to make their life better, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. But part of that is because we think that our biggest problem is we don't have enough money or we don't have this or we don't have that and i think it's not until you grow older in your christian life and sanctification becomes more of a thing that you begin to realize wow i'm really hopelessly lost i i really need jesus as my savior far more than i ever realized before and lord if you don't change me from the inside out i'm hopeless. Please do that. And that's what I think that was the error of the first century Jewish people, like well, our big problem is Rome. If we can just get a the political messiah who can save us from Rome, then we'll all be good. And the older you get, the more you realize no, you need a savior first. And once you get a savior, then you're looking for him to come again, but but our hope is not in this world now. Our hope is not in changing the environment now. Our hope is just to be a witness to people of the one who is coming again.
0: Listeners who listen regularly probably get tired of me saying this, but I I keep going back to something that a preacher, a young preacher here about two, three weeks ago said. He said, we need to do a better job or something like this. We need to do a better job of just beholding Jesus. Mm, mm -hmm. Getting out of our own construct, Mm -hmm. uh, getting away from what we understand. Just, just behold Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, and that, that's what Tim brought out so well the first week. This is, uh, this is uh, from him, but it's also about him. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so as I read John's description of Jesus here in verses, uh, what is it, twelve uh, through twenty? Mm-hmm. It does sound very Old Testament, and in fact, Tim referenced several passages: Zechariah four and Daniel nine come to mind. As a couple, but it seems like God is building a bridge here, even between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, this is this gets into some of your professional field. Give us some ideas, some ideas how that may or may not. Maybe I'm missing it, but it seems like there's a bridge being built between Old and New Testament here.
1: No, no, I completely agree with your sentiment, Bart. I think you're exactly right. Although, either I will I will push back just a little bit. But but let me affirm first, Zechariah 12. I just I just want to read these passages because I don't know if. Tim took the time to do it, and now we have a bit of time. But listen to what Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 says. It says, I will pour out on the kingship of David and on the population of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication, so they will look to me, the one they have pierced. Now, I don't know if we want to call that just an uh, allusion, but this really does sound an awful lot like what we're reading here in Revelation chapter 1, doesn't it? They will look on me, they have pierced. Uh, and they will lament for him as one laments for an only son. And there'll be a bitter cry for him like the bitter cry for a firstborn. On that day, the lamentation in Jerusalem will be as great as the lamentation in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn clan by clan. That's just a beautiful prophecy from Zechariah that one day the Jewish people are going to mourn over Jesus as a firstborn son and saying, oh, look what we did to him. And we're so glad to have him back. Right? Mm. And, and that's just a sweet sweet prophecy from Zechariah and and revelation here. John just sort of quietly alludes to it, doesn't quote the whole thing, just kind of sweetly references it and you can hear it in the background. And then he references this statement about coming on the clouds as well, which is from Daniel 7. I was watching the night visions and with the clouds of the sky, one like a son of man was approaching. He went up to the ancient of days and was escorted before him and he was given ruling authority and honor and sovereignty and all people's nations and language groups were serving him. And so all of that rich revelation from Daniel chapter seven and Zechariah chapter 12, John just kind of references here and says, yeah, you know, all that stuff in the Old Testament, you know what? It's coming true right now. And that's, that's so, so here's where I'll push back when you say, isn't he kind of making a bridge between the Old and New Testament? And and, and yes, you're right. He's bringing the Old Testament in here, but I also want to say you only need a bridge if there's a big gap in between. (laughs) <laughs> and the, there's Touché. no there's no big gap in between. He's he's just there may maybe a foot gap, right? But this is not a mile long bridge. The the old New Testament's working together here so beautifully, so well that you, you're weaving the whole unified story together.
0: This uh, reference here in verse twelve, uh, in the or thirteen rather, in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Is mm-hmm. that a reference to Daniel?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think it's Jesus' favorite term for himself mm-hmm. in the New Testament, and it's not just because "son of man." He means he doesn't just simply mean human.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He means the human who's going to come to get the scepter to rule and be given it by the Ancient of Days, sitting on the throne. And that's why this reference from Daniel 7 shows up here. It also shows up at the most critical moment in Jesus' trial. When they say to him, uh, uh, well, tell us, are, are, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, well, here's the way I'd say it from Daniel <laughs> chapter 7. You are going to see the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days, and someday I'll be on the judge's throne, and you'll be the one who's on trial.
0: That went over real well. And no. <laughs> we got him crucified, <laughs> yeah. but it was true. It was yeah. absolutely yeah. true. Well, it goes back to, I remember you saying this at one time number of years ago. He was totally in control of the circumstances, and he's totally in control of the circumstances here as he yeah. appears to John yeah. and leads John through these coming seven mm-hmm. messages and, uh, and the revelation of the apocalypse. Yes, absolutely. In control like the voice of a trumpet. Amen. Well, it's... Let's just call it a surreal scene that John describes here, and, and it's all really interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's get down to rubber on the road. Mm-hmm. How does this passage inform you and me about how we should be living our lives today? What What does this passage tell us? Mm. How, what shall we walk away with? Yeah, a good question. And, and by the way, Tim did a great job of summarizing. But I think, as you say, we've got more time here. Let's just let's talk about it. Yeah. A well, I think I
1: think two things come to mind. And the first is, I think, I think if we let this passage soak into us, we will have the same response that John did. Um, the, the voice, the the, the the scripture says, a voice like a trumpet behind me. Now imagine that just for a second. Okay, I've never heard a trumpet played softly. <laughs> Maybe you can play a violin softly, but I've never heard a trumpet played softly. So. My this, parents in the late seventies wished that had been the case, but uh. I'll bet, especially the way you played, <laughs> but the, but this trumpet-like voice comes off, and it, it, it doesn't say it startles him, but you know when you have a loud trumpet behind you, you look around and you see here, and then you see Jesus in the way he's described here, as Tim did such a great job explaining what that was. You're you're overwhelmed. So John's response: When I saw him, I fell down at his feet as though I were dead. But he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the one who lives. I was dead, but look, now I am alive forever and ever. So I think the proper response is you fall down like a dead man, and then you praise God that he loves you and cares for you and has beaten death and says there's nothing to fear now. Uh, Again, it's it's probably overused, but the whole statement by C.S. Lewis in Narnia, you know, is he good? Well, yeah, he's good. But is he dangerous? Yes, he's dangerous, but he's good. And you see not both team lion. Yeah. No, not the team line. So you see, I think that's the first response. And then the second is, this is the kind of thing which is supposed to give us the patient endurance that we have. Because it's coming. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It's not going to last long. And someday it's coming back. And based on that, we can have the endurance to be faithful
0: now. Tim quoted... Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, I believe it is, Mm -hmm. looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Mm -hmm. He's the guy who, uh, uh, before the beginning of the world with God the Father, and he's still there at the end, Mm the Alpha and the Omega. Yeah, first and last.
1: I I love that verse, who for the joy set before him. And what was that joy set before him? Uh, Probably not simply, you know, being rid of the pain, but looking forward to this looking forward to when he does come back and sets things completely straight. And we can get back to doing the business of living on an earth with Jesus and the Father here to do what we're supposed to do in the first place, and that is worship him and lovingly create and enjoy each other as family and business partners in doing the task of honoring God.
0: Great place to end. Chris, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate your insights and look forward to continuing this study as we move into Chapter 2. Me too. Look forward to what Tim has to say. He's doing such a great job. Well, Chris Miller has been my guest for this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace, and you can access all Grace sermons and podcast episodes on demand by visiting gracecederville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the Media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecederville.org. That's contact at gracecederville.org. Plan to join us next time. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word, as we said in Revelation chapter 2. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning in to this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecederville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue Digging Deeper in Grace as you read God's Word.